What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders, from ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities. CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the hushed corridors of the Tallahassee Police Department on a fateful March afternoon in 2010, Connor McBride, a then lanky 19-year-old with sandy hair, walked into the station looking distraught. In a tense exchange with the officer on duty, he confessed to an unthinkable act. He had killed his fiancée and Margaret Grossmare. The shocking confession set in motion a remarkable sequence of events that would challenge the perception of justice and redemption, leaving many wondering if it is possible for forgiveness to transcend even the darkest of deeds, or if the self-admitted murderer has manipulated those around him into believing that he deserves to be forgiven. This is Monsters. Anne Margaret Grossmayer was a lively and vibrant child, but her early years were shadowed by the experience of wearing an eye patch to correct a lazy eye, a testament to her resilience even in her formative days. As she got older, her fascination with animals blossomed. From her cherished guinea pigs to the affection she had for her horse, her love of animals gave way to a dream she had to one day have an animal rehabilitation center. During her high school years at Leon High School, Anne's passion for theater took center stage. Her involvement extended beyond acting, and she would enthusiastically participate in the technical aspects of the theater, including directing or serving on the tech crew. It would be there during her sophomore year of high school that Anne would first meet Connor McBride, igniting a relationship that would alter the course of their lives forever. Still teenagers, their relationship was marked by the typical drama that comes along with one's first love. They were devoted to each other, but there was also a dependence that bordered on obsession. By their senior year, they were spending so much time together that Connor would end up being fired from his job for not showing up. After graduation, both Anne and Connor continued their education at Tallahassee Community College, poised to take on the world together. Anne's family welcomed Connor into their lives like he was one of their own. He was selected for a youth leadership program through the Tallahassee Chamber of Commerce and was a top student during their high school years. By all outward appearances, Connor seemed like an intelligent young man with a good head on his shoulders, and their relationship seemed to be flourishing, but underneath the surface lay a tumultuous undercurrent of volatile behavior. 
The reality was that Connor was prone to bursts of irrational rage, and the young couple would spend most of their time arguing with one another. Their parents noted that there seemed to be wild mood swings, and that while they were good kids, they were not good together. Investigators would later discover evidence of Connor's abuse towards Anne during their relationship. Anne had written up what she called the list for Connor as a way to help him correct some of his behaviors. Some of the things on the list included no aggressive cursing, no negative comments on physical appearance, no negative comments on relationship, no falling asleep on the phone while talking to me, and no running away from our problems. Under the heading, Never Again, she listed physically harm me, look at porn, cheat, try ending us due to anger, yell at me, and keep me in the dark. Connor and Anne's interactions bore the hallmarks of a distressing cycle often seen in cases of domestic violence which involved initial mistreatment, followed by apologies that temporarily soothe only for the cycle to repeat with escalating abuse. Behind closed doors, Connor had hit Anne several times and was emotionally abusive, often exploding and yelling in anger. Ultimately, the culmination of their tumultuous relationship would result in a devastating and tragic outcome. What kind of problems were you Um, Really, just me. Like She felt that I didn't love her. She felt that I didn't put enough that I didn't show her enough, that I wasn't, like, committed, not committed enough, I served her, um, I wasn't there enough, I didn't care enough, which, I mean, to some degree, yeah, I lost that spark that we used to have, so. It was a typical Friday night for the couple when they found themselves caught in yet another argument. Connor was exhausted and had homework and things to do the next day, so he wanted to drive home and go to bed early. The recurring issue of differing schedules had become a serious source of contention between the young couple. Anne, a self-proclaimed night owl, clashed with Connor's preference for an early night. Amid the argument, Connor promised to return the next morning and prepare breakfast, but when he overslept, the fight continued. Their disagreements spilled over to the next day, attention amplified by exchanges over text and phone. Seeking some form of reconciliation, the couple planned a picnic for that evening. Anne, excited over a good grade she had received that day, had brought champagne glasses and San Pellegrino limonada to celebrate. During their picnic, Connor forgot about the good grade, leaving Anne disappointed. That was a turning point, and before they knew it, the couple was back to square one. As the sun set, they headed back to Connor's parents' house. In the midst of a conversation, Connor unexpectedly fell asleep. On Sunday, the next morning, the tension between Anne and Connor rekindled, and the fight was picked up where it left off. The heated exchange lasted hours before it reached a critical juncture and Anne made the decision to leave. She packed her belongings and headed towards the door, leaving Connor in a state of confusion and desperation. Anne had left her water bottle behind, and Connor took it outside to give it back to her, following her into the driveway. Anne was sitting in her car crying. She said to him, quote, You don't love me. You don't care. Connor, exasperated by their two days of fighting, asked Anne what she wanted. Her reply, quote, I just want you to die. Back inside the house, Connor's emotions surged. A turbulent blend of frustration, helplessness, and anger. 
he grappled with conflicting feelings, torn between his love for Anne and the overwhelming weight of their arguments. Connor went into his father's closet, pulled a shotgun down from a shelf, unlocked it, and walked into another room for ammunition before loading the weapon. He sat down in the living room and put the gun under his chin, his finger on the trigger. The torment of the situation seemed insurmountable, as he contemplated between wanting to end his own life and the knowledge that such an action might push Anne towards a similar fate. His spiraling thoughts came to an abrupt end when Anne began banging on the door. Connor put the gun on the table and let Anne inside where they went to a back room of the house to talk. Connor said in a later interrogation that Anne had a blanket wrapped around her leg and asked for some gauze, so he thought she may have cut herself, but he wasn't sure if she actually had as he never saw any blood. He finally got her some toilet paper and medical tape. Several minutes later, Connor left to get her a drink and when he returned, Anne was lying on the couch in distress. Fed up with fighting, he began screaming at her. Anne began sobbing, saying that she just wanted to die. He later admitted to entering a state of wrathful anger, a state that clouded his judgment. Connor left the room to get the gun. Anne began following him, but she must have tripped because when Connor returned, he found her on her knees. He pointed the gun at her in an attempt to scare or snap her out of it. Anne's last words were, quote, No, don't. She held out a hand protectively before Connor pulled the trigger. Okay, um, I, I lost it. I was angry and upset, and I, I shot her. Um, leading up to that, it didn't... She, she kind of... I don't know if she was faking it or if she actually did. I, she implied that she cut the main artery in her leg because she wanted to die, because she didn't... If, like, if I wasn't going to be with her, then... There was no point. Like, and like, I wanted, and I, I kept telling her I wanted to break up, but I don't want to see her dead. I don't want her to die. I don't want her to kill herself. So, if you didn't want her to die, how did shooting her with a shotgun figure into that plan? I mean, I'm no medical expert, but I do know that shotgun blasts at close range aren't the best way to keep someone from not dying. Just saying. I thought I'd kill myself, and I got her phone, and I texted out a text to her father that's like, Help, I'm at Connor's parents' house. He has a gun. At least that way, like, because my parents are out of town, so they wouldn't come back a week later and find me. So I was going to tell her dad, and then I, I, I didn't. I couldn't send it. I didn't, I didn't want to kill myself. Although, I'm like, now I do. <laughs> and then I just, I drove around for like 30 minutes. That same day, on March 28, 2010, at about 2.15 in the afternoon, Connor walked into the police department and told the officer, quote, You need to arrest me. I just shot my fiancé in the head. Connor was taken to an office where he began to weep. Connor had left Anne back at the house, believing wholeheartedly that she was already dead. By the time the police arrived at the scene, they found Anne was still alive but unresponsive. That night, in the dimly lit intensive care unit of Tallahassee Memorial Hospital, the somber rhythm of the ventilator provided the backup to an agonizing scene. Anne's father, Andy Grossmayer, stood vigil beside his daughter's bed. 
Anne was covered in bandages connected to tubes as she lay unconscious. The Grossmeyers were devout Catholics and clung to hope, praying fervently for divine intervention. According to Andy, it was among the sterile surroundings and unrelenting beep of machines that he felt an unexpected presence, Anne's voice asking them to forgive Connor. It would be difficult to do, as just days after Connor shot her, Anne would be taken off life support and pass away in the hospital surrounded by family. In the wake of that poignant moment in the hospital room, the Grossmere family found themselves confronted with a transformative choice that would reshape their understanding of justice, forgiveness, and the healing power of compassion. While the idea of forgiving the one who had caused their daughter's suffering seemed insurmountable, it was a seed that took root. Driven by their Catholic faith, they began to grapple with the concept of forgiveness in its most challenging form, forgiving the man who had taken their daughter's life. The Grossmeyers took on the deep commitment of forgiving Connor and ensuring that he understood the impact of his actions and the depth of their plan. Through open dialogue, facilitated by professionals, they sought after a process of healing for all involved. Remarkably, they took a pivotal step towards embracing restorative justice. Restorative justice is a transformative approach to dealing with crime that shifts focus from punitive measures to healing and repairing the harm caused. It seeks to address the needs of all parties involved. At the restorative justice meeting with the families and prosecutors, when it was time to own up to what he did, Connor was brutally honest, even in the face of the grieving parents. He told them everything that happened that night, how after he shot Anne, he drove around in a daze until he decided to turn himself in. Anne's father gave his suggestion, 10 to 15 years. When all was said and done, Connor was sentenced to 20 years in prison with 10 years of probation. During his time in prison, Connor's path towards rehabilitation has taken shape through a series of intentional steps and commitments. Despite the bleakness of his situation, he has demonstrated a determination to reshape his life. Within the confines of the prison walls, Connor immersed himself in the pages of novels and voluntarily enrolled in anger management classes. He has plans to volunteer in animal shelters upon his release, knowing that it was a cause that Anne was deeply passionate about. As part of his journey toward redemption, Connor accepted the responsibility of speaking to local groups about teen dating violence. Anne's vibrant life was abruptly overshadowed by a tragic turn of events, a chilling reminder of the dangers of domestic violence. Connor, the other central figure to this tragedy, took an unexpected path of transformation during his time in prison. Engaging in prison programs, aspiring to honor Anne's memory through volunteering and committing to spread awareness. For some, the Grossmere's choice to forgive Connor has raised concerns that this would imply acceptance of heinous actions. But Anne's family believe that Connor can transform his life for the better and that forgiveness is the best way to move on with their lives and what they believe Anne would have wanted. This show talks about monsters, many of whom get released from prison and go on to kill again. But is it possible that this monster can actually change and become a better person? Only time will tell. If you're the victim of domestic abuse, please reach out to someone for help. Please talk to your local shelter or call the National Domestic Abuse Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. Or you can go to thehotline.org to chat with someone online. 
This website is set up so that, at any time, hitting the escape key twice will take you to a Google search page. That way, if your abuser is nearby, you won't get caught seeking help. If you're having feelings of harming yourself or someone else, or even just need someone to talk to, please contact your local mental health facility. Call 911 or call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline by simply dialing 988 in the United States. They're available 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, and will talk to you about any mental health issue you may be facing. If you are a member of the LGBTQ community and suffering from discrimination, depression, or are in need of any support, please contact the LGBT National Hotline at 1-888-843-4564 or go to lgbthotline.org. Thanks so much for letting me tell you this story. If you enjoyed it, subscribe on whatever platform you're on, hit like, rate us, or leave us a comment. You can check out our other show, Somewhere Sinister, on YouTube or anywhere you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to support the show, check out our merchandise at thisismonsters.com. The link is in the description. Thanks again, and be safe. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm gonna make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you wanna get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.